You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I would like to call in the spirits to join us here today. So first, I'd like to reach out through the lines that mix and merge in our blood to our ancestors. I call out to all of those who bring that which is good and true and beautiful into our lines. Those people who lived well, who died well, and in particular, those people who understood the true stories. The stories that could shape a soul, the stories that could shape a life, the stories that could shape a destiny that would be legend. So I call out to these ancestors and all the storytellers and all of our lines to gather around us here today and to help us. To help us as contemporary people with so many poor, puny stories floating around in our world. To help us to find our way to that resonance of the true story, the story, our own true story. So I call out to these ancestors and all of those humans who have always loved and been inspired by a good story to gather around us here today and to hold us well and to help us, the living, to do what the living are meant to do, which is to live and to live in a way that is legend and becomes the stories for those who are coming. So I call out to you ancestors to be with us here today and to hold us well. And here in the center of the circle of these ancestors, we reach down from our heart to our bellies and our bellies into the earth, reaching through all the layers of the earth, all the way into the very belly of the earth. And remember that the earth is a storyteller as well. That is is her dream of life, her story, her story of possibility that brings all life as we experience it into manifestation here on this planet and give thanks to the earth and her great dreaming that brings us life and in that life great beauty in that life great possibility for change and transformation and in that life the great diversity that keeps things oh so very interesting so we give thanks to the earth and reach deep into the heart of the earth with our own hearts and draw that energy up And draw it up just like the refreshing, cool water bubbling up from the earth when you've been on a long. For us to renew us and to move into our feet, into our legs, into our bellies and into our hearts and up into our day, bringing us all the wisdom of manifestation. And with the energy of the earth, we call out to bring into our own lives, to make true with our own choices, the energy of grounding, the energy of belonging, belonging, the energy of connection and interconnection, the energy of hearth and home, and the energy of the oneness of all things that comes from all of these energies and the way they all mix and merge and swirl around to make this experience of this great web of life. And we ask the energy of the earth to be within us to help us to always remember that it is our task here to manifest our own spirit in form. And we call out to the earth to help us to understand how to do that in a good way. 
And with the energy of the earth supporting us and our feet firmly planted into the earth, we draw our own energy up from the heart to the mind and the mind out into the sky, from the sky out through the atmosphere and into the cosmos and all the way out there, dancing with all of the heavenly bodies, out into the wonders and the mysteries and the great unknown of the sky realms, out into the cosmos. We reach all the way up to the highest power of the universe and by whatever name we know this power. Let us name it and let us see our own reflection in it. And in that energy and in that reflection, we draw the energy down, down through the layers of the sky, into our heads, into our hearts, into our bellies, and drawing into ourselves, into our day, and into these proceedings, the energy of blessing, the energy of generosity, the energy of the devotion to life, to diversity, to health, to well-being. And we call down the energy of protection and the benevolence of all things. And we call in all the wisdom of the cosmos to be within us here today to infuse ourselves and to help to inspire us. And so with the energy of the earth and sky dancing within us, the two great lovers of yin and yang holding the big love within us, let us awaken and call out the spirit of the heart. May the human heart awaken today in this time and open to be clear, to be strong, and to be full. And we call out to the energy of the heart to be the crucible that it is, to hold the fiery passions of our belly and the crystal clarity of our mind together in such a way that they provoke each other into the birth of that third thing, which is the knowing of your soul's true purpose. And as that energy emerges in your awareness, in your heart, may you find also in your heart the courage to live that purpose and to make it manifest in the world in some way. So with these energies called in around us, we give thanks. Thanks for this day and thanks for life. And we give thanks uh, to all of those who make the show possible. And we ask that the show go forward today in a good way for all living things. And we give thanks to those of you that make sure that that happens. Those of you that are able to offer financially to the show, I give special thanks to Deb and Endrick and Astrid and all of the other listeners who donate to the show to help to pay the bills that keep the show live and free on the air. For those of you that don't know, there is a website, whyshamanismnow.com, which has archives of the shows all the way back to January of 2009. And you are welcome to go to that website and listen to your heart's content. And if you are moved in your heart in any way by any of the shows, if you are moved by this show today, I ask you to consider to donate to the show or to take some action in some way that supports the growth and the life and the interest of the show. And for all of these many things that you listeners are doing to help the show be alive and well, I give profound thanks. And those of you who don't know, you need to go to whyshamanismnow.com to the support button to, to offer any amount, large or small. Um, and you can link to that through my website. Some people are getting lost on my website. And you just click on the radio show image and it will take you to the radio show site and you can donate there. And thank you all for your efforts, for your emails, and for your questions. And I would like to give a very special thanks to our guest today, Jeff Stockton. Jeff, thank you for joining us today. Christina Pratt, woman of vision, woman of heart, it's a joy to be in conversation with you today. It's so good to hear your voice. So everyone, <laughs> Jeff is joining us today to talk about uh your sacred story and stories in general and the art of storytelling. So for those of you that don't know, 
because you're American and you don't pay attention to anything going on anywhere else in the world, um, Jeff is an award-winning storyteller and Celtic harpist who lives in the, the wild woods of Canada. And since uh, 1997, he has been performing nationally and internationally in concerts um, ranging from full ensemble performances to intimate settings with um, his solo harp. And he weaves stories um, with his harp at conferences, storytelling festivals, performance showcases, children's festivals, Celtic festivals, school audiences, and up in BC at the Shamanic Conference that I get to do each May, which is where I met Jeffrey. Thank you very much, Jeffrey, for being there and giving us the constant soundtrack of live music throughout our entire week. <laughs> my, my pleasure. So Jeff has many recordings, three actually, and The Wisdom of the Woods is the storytelling recording and the others are music. Is that correct, Jeff? That's right. Yeah. So you can go to Jeff Stockton, S-T-O-C-K-T-O-N dot C-A, as in Canada, um, or contact at jeffstockton.ca to purchase CDs and find out many other wonderful things about Jeff, including where he is next performing and things of that nature. So um, we are live this week. And um, for those of you who want to call in and ask questions, you can call in at 512-772-1938 or Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site or email me and I'll read your question on the air. And I am at Christina at lastmaskcenter.org. So without further ado, my favorite question of the show is usually, Jeff, as you reflect on your life, how? In the world, did you end up with a Celtic harp and storytelling? You were, I'm sure, were a good red-blooded Canadian boy, and now you're this fascinating, unique man today. So what happened? (laughs) Uh, Well, the spirits kind of stepped in and turned me on to a different road. I was living my life uh, quite happily and thought that I had found my path with heart. I was teaching. I, in my 20s, had um, my late teens had been an introduction to the bleakness, uh, a sense of a calling, and a sense that things in the daily round of life were not going to answer that call. And so I made my way through that, and it drew me onto a path that led to the East. Uh, so I spent my 20s quite immersed in... Um, the, the art form, the skill involved in meditation. So in my late 20s, I was actually running a meditation center in Calgary and teaching full-time. And then that pesky heart I woke up around 29. It rolled over and said, this is good, but it's not what you are here to do. So there were lengthy conversations with that particular voice that uh, pulled me into the shamanic realm. And it was surprising to me uh, the way that that came together. It was surprising the way in which I recognized threads of conversation that had been going on throughout my life. And in beginning those partnerships, with my unseen allies, it was made clear that uh, things would be woven together on the strings of the Celtic harp. 
which made no sense to me. Uh, I had no musical background whatsoever. But I followed that guidance as best I could. I ordered a harp on the Internet. It arrived in a very big box in the middle of a big windstorm. And uh, it set in motion this path that I've been traveling for the last 16 years or so, uh, which my heart continues to tell me is my path with heart. Mm, beautiful. A harp is such a not common contemporary instrument. How did it no. Place? How did it, like, did it reach out and trip you or something? How did it get you? Uh, it haunted me somewhat through my 20s. I would hear it and think, what is that instrument? What is that sound? And I didn't hear a harp live until I was in my mid to late 20s. But there is something about it. It has a voice that's unique among all instruments. It has a resonance, a range, and a very profound history that goes across culture and across time, uh, linked to work involving the human spirit and the magic of story. And that's, um, I think, what drew me to the instrument. You know, in Tom Cowan's um, one of his many courses about Celtic shamanism, he talks about how when your ancestors consorted with other beings, like beings of the fairy realm, or even like the, um, I can't remember all the right names, but the, the beings that are really seals, you know, seal women, and, you know, basically, but the point is when your ancestors consorted with other other realms that the the human children that are born of that are born with these impossible longings and your story about the heart makes me think your ancestors consorted and you were born with this impossible longing which Mm -hmm. which found the the vehicle for it's really beautiful that's a beautiful way to to think about that but when I look at all your pictures of you off in the forest with your harp, it's clear your ancestors consorted with <laughs> Somebody was consorting somewhere. Yeah. Um, so I have been told by those who seem to know what they're talking about that life told verbatim doesn't actually make a good story, that we have mm. to take some creative license in the retelling to craft life into the really good story and so i was hoping that you would tell us about the parts of a true story the logos ethos and pathos of the story would you share with us those parts of a of a good story Mm. the stories that have endured uh they're remarkable things that they have endured so much upheaval so much change so many different voices telling them and yet they still endure. And this amazes me to no end, particularly in our time where things come and go in a nanosecond, and there's always more to come, new tidbits, new ways of doing things, new technologies. What does it mean for something to endure? What does it mean to have a story that would be written in the stars? The constellations overhead, all of them are named for personages who lived a great story, a story such that their names were written in the stars. And when I think about the nature of a story, the folktale, the legend, the myth, all of them have woven into them 
fantastical things, unbelievable things, all living quite compatibly with the day-to-day things. And every story, no matter how fantastical, no matter how magical, has at its heart a logic, logos. It has an ethos, a sense of ethics. There's a morality and uh, a powerful presence of pathos, which is the capacity to move the human emotion, to move the human spirit. And these stories that have endured, they dance between the three of them. If, according to Greek philosophers, if we're overbalanced with logic, we end up with something that follows the rules but has no heart. If we're overbalanced in the ethics, everything becomes a moral lesson, something to further an agenda. If we're overbalanced with pathos, then we end up with pathological beings who are ruled only by surges of emotion and passion. And a true human being needs to be living a dance that threads between all three of those things. And I think, I believe, that stories are uh, a really magical key to understanding what it means to live that dance, where we understand uh, we have a head that works, where we have courage to live out the ethics and the values we hold, and we also have a great sense of passion, uh, a sense of purpose, a sense of emotion running through us, all living in harmony. It's a beautiful. So where do you think stories live? <laughs> when I was a kid, I was convinced they lived in books. You walk into a library and that's where the stories live. That's where they came from. When mom or dad would pull down a book and read the story. But I understand more fully now that stories actually don't live in books. They don't live in the printed word. They don't live in bites of memory. Stories live only in the human heart. It is, as far as we know, this is the place human beings are the storytellers. We are the story makers. Uh, If we look to the lessons of studies of the natural world around us, there is abundant proof that there are... Uh, There is communication and language uh, of some sort among uh, all living beings on the planet. But so far as we know, it is only the human being who carries stories, who craves them, who weaves them. And it is in the human heart that stories live. Hmm. That would be my answer anyway. That's beautiful. Um, As uh, we were emailing about the show, I also thought it was lovely that you said, well, but the stories sleep in the books. (laughs) Yes. That's where we put them when we're not in the middle of them. Right. But when we are in the middle of stories, it's within us. It's in the human heart, the human imagination. So what is it about the stories that live on after us, after we die? Oh, when I think about stories, 
they are, it's something we begin weaving with the first breath. And they are what hold our days together uh, throughout the duration of our lifetime. Uh, having said my farewells to people that I've loved who have died, it is the stories of them, the vivid, living moments of time that remain with me. Uh, it's not the accomplishments on their resume. It's not how much stuff they had. It's not the great places they got to go to. It's the stories, who they were, how they lived in the world, how they interacted, how they responded to challenges. And uh, I believe that it's true for all of us. It's our stories that live on. It's our stories that have a life beyond the last beat of the heart. I believe that it's always been this way, uh, but our stories are, are vital to who we are. We may grieve a great leader, a great teacher, with whom we had no interaction simply because they inspired us, but it is the felt stories that we really hold on to, and we remember them quite effortlessly. We don't have the same facility with uh, calling up the details and the list of facts about people, but a story, it just pops into your heart, and you open your mouth, and out it comes, fully fleshed and alive again. It's as though stories never die. You know, I think that in our world and just the, the over stimulus coming in on our mental channels, but not so much our heart channels of our contemporary life, I think it's hard sometimes for people to imagine the reality of what you're saying. I mean, it's, it's hard for me to imagine that there are children that don't get read to or stories told to when they're young. You know, that I just, you know, they watch a DVD and uh, so this whole, it's, it, 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 I had a teacher once who talked about essences and that essences are either sort of tended and strengthened or frayed and made weak by our actions and our, and the unconsciousness or consciousness in our actions. And I wonder sometimes if stories or, or, or maybe storytelling, if these aren't essences that, that, that exist and are tended well or not, I guess, by our, our choices in life. When we get to the essence of something, it's, it's really what it boils down to. It's, the, um, it's what's at the heart of it. It's not all of the volume around it. Mm -hmm. And I, I find that because there is such access to such a, an incredible smorgasbord of media, many of them working with stories in their own way, uh, it tends to over, over fire and make our imaginal faculties somewhat less than we need them to be. When I plunk myself in front of a screen, there are so many sensations that are bombarded through that I become a passive a passenger in the vehicle. And what happens when we are in the middle of a story where our, imaginal, our imagination has the lead in it is that it enters us in a completely different way. Uh, I find that, especially with children, a story told 
it's not something that's recited. It's something that a storyteller and an audience build together. And when it's live in that way, it, uh, I find, is stored much the same way that a memory is stored. It becomes almost a physical experience that comes up as effortlessly as something that we lived uh, through our five senses. It has that kind of power. And I think it's the essence of those experiences of heroism, of triumph, of wisdom that we can draw on in ways that some of the fast media things don't allow us to take the nourishment from. Yeah, yeah. I think that there are arcs of stories, you know, different story arcs that hold sort of the essence of um, the arcs of life that we will be caught up in and need to go through, and that if we know the story of that arc of life, we, we recognize, oh, I'm in that story. Um, mm. Oh, right, I'm in chapter three where everything goes to hell in a handbasket. Okay, but that means the rest of this story is, is this, and, and let me participate in the story as, you know, a main character in the, in the arc of this story, and a lot, and I think that that is a really powerful way to to work with story and to understand story. And I think part of the challenge that people don't recognize when they don't realize that positive sense of story is they don't realize how easily manipulated they are by um, using the power of story sort of in the opposite way to, to mm. undermine people and their, their innate heroism and courage and desire to do what they've come here to do, but to but kind of pull the rug out from underneath them. Because there's a great sort of overarching arc, I think, in the media that's um, manipulation through story. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always through the lens of the storyteller. Yeah, yeah. Who, who is the storyteller? Speaking of storytellers, <laughs> speaking of storytellers, let's talk about the act of storytelling. So, so what is the act of storytelling for you? Mm, well, one of the best definitions of storytelling is that uh, it is a, a live event that is, as I mentioned before, truly co-created between the teller and the audience. Um, that the act of storytelling is there is a story, there is language involved, but stories don't live in the language. Uh, a story is brought to life from head to toe, and it is experienced head to toe. Storytelling actually shouldn't work. You know, you walk into a hall or a room or a library where someone is telling a story, not reading from a book, telling it to an audience, and it looks as though it's one set of lips moving and moving and moving, and all of the rest of them sitting there passively, but that's not what's happening. Uh, through the dance of body language, through the rhythm and the flow, the speed and the pause of language, through eye contact, through facial expression, the eloquence of a raised eyebrow. These things are built together, and the storyteller adjusts the pace to the reactions of the audience. A story is never told live, in, unless it's within a, a particular tradition where that's uh, held as essential. But most of the storytelling in the world around us, the story is not told the same way twice because the audience is going to sink into and want to dwell in different parts based on what they need. 
And storytelling itself depends on uh, something called closure, where you, as the storyteller, give just enough information that the mind, the imagination, the experience of the listener takes it and runs with it and fills in the rest. So it's, uh, in some ways, it's a very minimalist way. It's not the way a novelist would tell a story. It's certainly not the way a filmmaker would tell a story, where you try and give as much as possible to flesh things out. What the act of storytelling does is it gives just enough that all of us are suddenly engaged in the, the same unfolding of the adventure. And I think this is why it has such power, because it becomes my story rather than just a story. So let's talk about this imaginal faculty that's getting ignited or, or inspired or somehow turned on by the storytelling. So, mm-hmm. so talk about what that is for you, this, this imaginal mm-hmm. part. No, almost no matter where we are, we can open our eyes and see uh, that we are surrounded by things that have been dreamt by the human mind, the human imagination. Uh, Every great triumph, every horrific deed has come from, that really impacts the human population, Uh, virtually all of those come from something that has been dreamt within the human imagination, every great work of art, every symphony, every war. And it is this capacity that I think has allowed us to endure. And if you look at your fingernails right now as claws, they do the job that they need to do in a human experience, but they're not much compared to the claws of a tiger. Our muscles in the legs... They can move us pretty quick until you compare them with the leg muscles of a cheetah. Sometimes it amazes me that we've managed to endure on the planet, never mind come to the places of influence that we've come to. It's not our fangs, our claws, or our muscles that have allowed that. It's the human imagination, the the ability to envision something different and to develop the means to build it, to implement it. It's an incredibly powerful, powerful thing. And I think it's at the, it's at the heart of, of so much of who we are. So this imaginal faculty, it really comes into play in the realm of story. And we see how uh, you see in, in, in quotation marks there, you can't see it through the five senses, but in the realm of being caught up in a story, we, it, it takes primacy. You know, it becomes our experience and it overshadows uh, the physical experiences, the things we could prove through logic, uh, through evidence. And that imaginal faculty, it's something that, um, because it has such an influence, it's worth spending some time watching what is what is being nourished on, what it is dreaming of, where is the dreaming pulling us. 
So I was going to think, and maybe this would be a moment for us to share a couple little stories. So I'm going to share like a storytelling nightmare, and I'm going to let you share one of your like best storytelling stories. So my most recent storytelling nightmare was I've been starting to teach this Courageous Heart work, which is new for me, and I'm really excited about it. It's, it's old work I've been doing, but offered in a new form, and, and I really have so much belief in the power of the human heart. Um, that I'm very excited about it. And I was in a fairly intimate setting teaching this class, and um, there were no questions. There was no body <laughs> language. There was nothing. It was like storytelling nightmare. There was nothing coming back from this audience. And we were really fairly close. It wasn't that big a venue. There weren't that many people there. I kept asking for questions, and it, it was like they were. <laughs> We're all on some sort of drug or something. It was just horrible. And I was just thinking, oh, my God, I have no idea what is going on here. And it was just, oh, you know, I'm asking for all my help from my helping spirits, trying to do something to, like, ignite this imaginal faculty. And Horrible. And I found out later... And it was an evening talk and then a class. And I was after that, I was amazed anybody came back for the class the next day at all because it was just – I would have rather had someone like poke bamboo sticks in my eyes or something. It was just awful. So, but what I found out after a couple people left the class on Saturday and then emailed me later to tell me why is that one of those people had been an NLP practitioner and he had been clearing and canceling everything that I was saying. Oh, and so my effort to spark that imaginal faculty in people was literally being turned off. And as soon as those people left the class, everybody started chuckling. They started laughing. They started asking questions. And all of a sudden, it's like these courageous hearts that had been sort of trapped in this weird mental dynamic going on just burst open. And then everybody's curiosity. And, and I just thought, Wow, but man, what a what a nightmare. <laughs> so why don't you share with us one of your absolute best storytelling moments? Oh, to be honest, those happen uh, often telling stories to younger audiences. There's something about when you're six years old, when you're five years old, uh, you are so fully in the world. You have no masks. And so I, there is a, a story that I, I tell because I love it quite often where uh, it's a great adventure and we get uh, into uh, heading into the dark woods where there's a monster and it's, it's the gasps. And one time um, in the last year or so, telling that, that story in, uh, in a school, you know, it's, it's dead silent. Everyone is in that place that I love to call the storyteller's hush, where it's not the setup, uh, it's not wrapping things up where the body language starts to move because people are either going into or out of that imaginal experience. It's right in the heart of it. So in terms of language, it's just my voice. I'm talking very quietly. And we get to the point where the monster bear is coming out, and uh, one of the six-year-olds suddenly sits up, eyes wide, 
and says at the top of his his voice, oh my God, what's he going to do? It's those <laughs> moments where they're drawn into it and it it's something that can't even be contained because it's so vivid and so powerful. It's those moments that keep me going with all of it. <laughs> so... As you've said, one of the sacred duties of the shaman is to be the storyteller. And, um, and I think part of that, uh, the story, storytelling as a sacred act, is understanding how stories can heal and how they can harm. And um, one of the most important things that, um, that you've said that I think is... is missing in a sense in our contemporary culture or or where it's happening it's happening fairly unconsciously like the storyteller is not the one doing it it's the way that stories help people by weaving people together and holding them by sort of like reminding them these are our shared values this is why we do this together this is why we go to the water together on this day and this time of year and honor whomever and and that that um, constancy uh, that, that is often – there's also a, um, a task in some shamanic cultures of the storyteller whose job is to remember your stories when you've forgotten yourself. And you go back to them to be reminded of yourself. And part of it is telling you a story – in a sense of what you've already done, what you've already learned, what you already know, what you've already lived in a way to teach the people, and yet, but you've forgotten it yourself. And now you're you know, going back over that again. And the storyteller says, oh, no, 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 you, you need to come. You've forgotten yourself. Let, let me tell you this story. And um, that doesn't really work when the TV's the storyteller. You know, when we forget ourselves, we just keep forgetting. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's a quote from Robert Moss that I, I really love. And he wrote uh, in his book, Dream Gates, Australian Aborigines say that the big stories, the stories worth telling and retelling, the ones in which you may find the meaning of your life, are forever stalking the right teller, sniffing and tracking like predators, hunting their prey in the bush. I think those stories, there are stories, motifs, um, particular genres of stories that we are here to live and we need them and they are looking for us. And I think that when we come to the place of that shamanic task of keeping the stories, of telling the stories, of knowing uh, which story is needed right now, in this place, in this time, by these hearts, I think it is, well, in my experience, it's one of the core, the core things that can be done in bringing a group of people together again. So what, what do you think happens to a people when they have, as you've said, these impoverished stories that um, are sensational and potentially manipulative, but not um, really nourishing those those deep and essential stories. Hmm. 
what, what happens to a culture when that's sort of their steady diet of stories? Uh, I mean, we head into the realm of conjecture and opinion here. My opinion is that we start to see very much the same thing that happens to a human being whose diet is potato chips, soda pop, and, and french fries. It's, it's enough to get you out of bed in the morning, but in the long term, it's not going to provide the kind of strength and endurance that's needed. So when we head into, and there are always pockets, uh, especially in our time where there is so much media and so many different formats for telling and taking in a story, um, I think one of the great dangers is losing the sense of uh, that my story is being lived right now, that I am on the hero's journey right now. And that my story is, it's the reason that I'm walking around on these two feet. There's something that I, I need to live. There's a, a call to adventure that I am here to respond to. And back when I was teaching in my 20s, there was a, a day that, uh, it, there was a pang of great sadness in my heart. I was out walking around and a couple of the, Grade one girls had come along to help the teacher on supervision on the playground, and we somehow ended up in a conversation uh, about what do you want to be when you grow up. And uh, they were asking me, kind of joking, because I was, of course, so old at 26. <laughs> and um, I had answered, and, and it was pretty close to what I was doing at that point, and I said, well you know, what would you like to be when you grow up? And this six-year-old girl in her little pleated skirt and her hair and barrettes looked at me and said, I want to be famous. Mm. And I looked at her and said, well, what do you want to be famous for? She said, no, I want to be rich and famous. And I said, for what? It doesn't matter, she said. I just want to grow up and be rich and famous. And I think... I'm much happier if a six-year-old is going to come up to me and tell me that he wants to be Perseus slaying Medusa. He wants to be Swift Runner taking down the monster bear. But when someone says, I want to be rich and famous, I think that you know there's a, a thread there of where is the story? Where is the sense of the journey that we're on? And I think that's what stories help us to remember. And I think that it's in that um, helping us to remember or even recognize in the first place <laughs> mm. um, what's, what story we're on. Because as contemporary people, for some reason, part of what we don't understand is that we are always in a story. And the question is, what, what story? Whose story? Um, mm. You know, how did I get here? How do I get off? <laughs> you know, mm. How do I find the real story? I mean, in, in, my, in my third year, what we look at is the possibility that there is only one story, and that is the story that you are one with all things. Mm. That's the only story, and that any other story you carry 
is not, well, there's only one reality, I guess I should say, that you're one with all things. So anything else you carry is a story, and it's up to grabs. So even the story of being a man or the story of being a woman is overlaid on the story of being a human. And one with, and, and so the whole year, the, the, the quest of that whole third year is to let, let the stories go, all of them, except for that one true story, and then allow your story to emerge and to begin to see what, what, what is the arc of the true essential story that I'm in. And, and, and the rest of this was just distraction. And in some ways, a way I protected myself from being in the, story, in the real story. You know, the way I distracted myself and, and, and did what I call the puny stories. I'm not worthy. I'm not enough. I'm not this. You know, which are all just the puny manifestations of the one big scary story, which is that I'm separate from all things. That I'm separate. The big, we, we, we refer to in that year as the big lie. The big lie story. And all these little puny stories come out of that and puny lives. And the idea is if you are here to manifest a face of the divine, what, you know, what is that uniqueness you're here to bring? And you're, you're, you're manifesting a face of the divine. It's, it, it is potentially legendary. And so it's all about getting all those other stories out of the way and finding those stories that help us strengthen us and heal into ourselves. So, so what is it about stories that gives us that ability to heal and to remember, um, to create a new, new resonance in our life? Well, I mean, our lives are one big story, but they are, there's many little stories that we live out along the way. Uh, and in thinking about how stories assist us in that, uh, every story begins with that pull onwards. And every story that is endured for thousands of years, whether they're light uh, and funny, whether they are the grand adventures, every one of them helps us to understand something about the human experience that it's very hard to find old stories where, you know, there's, there's the familiar format. Someone's living their life and they're quite happy in the day-to-day realm or they're at least accustomed to it. And then something pulls them out of that. Many of those old stories have as the beginning of the journey, the heroic journey, there is a loss of some kind. There is a series of uh, either severely challenging or almost insurmountable things that need to be addressed and encountered and faced. And at some point there is a decision, uh, will I go back? And if I go back to the life that I knew before, will I go back to it in the same way? Will it, what will I bring back uh, as I return, changed from this journey that I'm on? I think the, one of the places where the more superficial storytelling affects us is there's some notion that happily ever after uh, is a place that we can get to. It's a place that we arrive at in a certain suburb or a certain tax bracket, and it's not the case on the journey of life. 
we go on an adventure and we rise to meet the obstacles that come to us. And we have our moment of happily ever after and accomplishment, but the next thing you know, there's another once upon a time that hits us. And we're drawn again. There's a there's such a dynamic flow in the journey of just one human life and the way that it interacts with the six, seven billion stories that are also being played out at the same time. I think it's grounding to keep in mind that the adventure doesn't end as long as we're breathing. And the, the adventure is not always easy. And, and if I may, the one thing I would also add to that for contemporary people is, as long as you're breathing, <laughs> if you don't like where your story is deposited to you and you're breathing, write anew. <laughs> You know, the story, it, because I also feel like people live out their story and that they're still alive and then they don't know what to do or they arrive where their story was going to take to their imagined happily ever after and they're, oddly enough, not so happy. And, 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 and there's this kind of, huh, like, now what? <laughs> and, and I think, well, at least my current theory is that original dreaming and storytelling we do begins when we're children. And it, it carries th- us through this huge arc of our life. And yet many of us, especially because those stories aren't necessarily being provoked by the big stories, that we, live them, we live them out and, and we've still got a lot of life left. And versus the, the man of um, you know, a generation before us who retired and then died in a year because there, just, there was no more story to keep him alive. That was his whole story, mm. you know, versus the man that's been waiting to build the sailboat mm. or, the, you know, the man that has a, another part of the story that may have even been a part of the story that was on hold. But anyway, back to the whole idea of dreaming, especially when relationships end and the whole dream of the childhood relationship was embedded in that relationship. And it's not that we're even still mourning the loss of the spouse. We're mourning the loss of the story. But who are you now as the storyteller in your life? And what story would you tell now? You're not the naive child. You're the child that, you know, you're the child that's now gone through life. And, 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 to, and to, to somehow inspire in people the, the realization that if you're still breathing and your story's deposited you at the end chapter and there's that last period and now the book's closing and you've still got life, what's the next story? And how do you tell it? How do you dream it? How do you engage with those energies that are going to move you in this next arc of life instead of just sort of laying back on the cultural current um, and, and just sort of letting that diet of puny stories sort of carry you through the rest of your life and wondering where the meaning went or something. I don't know. I sometimes think that it's those moments where, as you put it, a story ends, where we're thrown out of the familiar, everyday kind of story. It's the moment where illness arrives, where there is, there has been a death, there has been something that has rocked the foundation of our lives. And it's in those moments that, um, where there's greatest risk, uh, 
there's also the greatest opportunities. And I have found, uh, both in my own experience, uh, certainly in my shamanic journey, uh, and also in the work that I've done with people who are living with illness, living with cancer, that it can be an incredibly powerful thing to simply step out of the diagnostic list. We, especially in the Western world, are too good at my vital stats. This is my name, this is my age, this is my marital status, this is my occupation. But life has an incredible, uh, frequent, cyclical way of interrupting those vital stats. And it's in those moments where I don't fit with that old resume, that old list, uh, where uh, it's in those moments where there is tremendous power in stepping back and looking at uh, the flow of events, not uh, diagnostically, this is what happened factually, but as the flow of a story. So the young hero, the young heroine has suddenly found themselves here. Tell it as a story. Uh, and it changes the viewpoint. It changes the way that what comes next can be lived with. Uncertainty is different when we're in the middle of listening to a great adventure story than it is when, you know, in daily life, I don't know how I'm going to pay the rent next month. But sometimes there needs to be a bridge to allow for these new realities. And story can pre provide such a, a powerful way of doing that. And I often share with people that there is that story about the days in the wilderness, hmm. all alone, you know, and that, that sometimes that's the story that people are in, hmm. and, that you don't and that you don't want to go back. That was the whole point of getting into the wilderness in the first place. You have to keep going. Hmm. And the hmm. wilderness is always, you know, 10 days longer than you want it to be. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, in folktale language, they talk about three days and three nights. Anytime you come across that in a an old folktale, it means it's an initiation that has gone on way longer than it's comfortable. Yeah, yeah. don't they always? <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> um, and speaking of that, what what would you offer to listeners who are? listening to us and wondering, hmm, whose story am I living anyway? You know, am I living my own true sacred story or, or what? You know, I was um, sh sharing this, this quick story with my students the other day of how um, I actually tried to get into medical school twice and I succeeded the second time and then I said, thank you and no thank you. And at that point, <laughs> my, my, father was shocked and I went home and he was having one of the handful of real father-daughter talks that he had with me to really make sure what was really going on <laughs> and we went through this whole conversation and he decided that I was sane and that this was a decision that I needed to make and that I wasn't just chickening out or whatever anyway the whole conversation is over and he looks off into the distance and he says you know I always wanted to go to medical school and in that moment, I realized that I had been living his story and never known for a moment it was his because until that moment, I never knew that about him. Mm. Scary. <laughs> mm. 
it's like a big shiver. Like, whoo, okay. Got <laughs> off that train that wasn't mine to start with, and here we go. Now what? Anyway, so just for those people that think they might have gotten on someone else's train, <laughs> and would like to get on their own sacred story, how, how could we inspire people to... to to find their own sacred story in their life and to live that story? Well, uh, one of the, the best starting places is uh, what was the best or what was your favorite story as a kid? There is... Uh, we are so, in some ways, uncomplicated in those early years that there is, there can be such strong affinities, such strong recognition of certain things that we're longing for, uh, that we are really needing to experience and to do uh, as we're heading off into the world and growing up. I think there is a, a lot of power in looking back at, you know, sitting down and, and reading uh, or revisiting one of those childhood favorite stories and seeing, you know, does it still call to me in the same way? Another thing to think about is, uh, you know, what are the stories that you're already really awfully good at living? The heroine in a romance novelist, the warrior at the front of the battle lines, every time something comes up, there are certain... Uh, genres, certain motifs that we can get a little over-familiar with. Have I always been uh, longing to be rescued? Have I always been wanting to face the unknown in some way? I think looking at the familiar or the overly familiar uh, life patterns through the lens of story can be quite liberating as well. Sometimes we we need a bit of perspective to be able to think about, so what is the bigger story or what is the story that my my heart and my spirit are longing for? So I think uh, we have to wrap up here. So is there anything mm-hmm. else that you would share about stories or storytelling or anything as we close here today? Uh, two quick things. One, I think it's good to remember that we are all storytellers. Uh, it's, it's how we live our lives. When someone asks how your day was, they aren't asking for what did you do, what was your schedule. They want a story. And embracing that and launching into it is it's such a vital human experience. It's what our relationships are, are really built on. And the second thing is just a quick quote. Uh, from an unnamed Siberian elder, if you don't know the trees, you may be lost in the forest. But if you don't know the stories, you may be lost in life. Hmm. So here's to people knowing their own true story. Hmm. Hmm. Jeffrey, thank you so much for being with us here today. It's been my pleasure. Such a joy. Thank you. Hmm. So, people, if you'd like to contact Jeff, he, you can reach him by email at contact at jeffstockton.ca, Canada, or at, uh, the website is www.jeffstockton.ca.
and um and 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 his storytelling cd is there and what is the name of it again jeff uh wisdom of the woods wisdom of the woods lovely so thank you ever so much. We give thanks to the ancestors for dreaming us all into existence that we could be here today and talk about stories. We give thanks to the earth below and the sky above and the heart that unites us all. And next week we're going to talk about dance and movement and trance dancing and this essential aspect of shamanism and the basic healthy life. So thank you everyone for listening this week.